Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your cousin, that dog down the road that's really cute and eager, or your pet cat, whoever may have questions. Uh, My name is Courtney. I'm one of the branch librarians at our Kentwood and Gaines branch, and I'm joined by two lovely librarians. The first is Miss Emily. Hello. Hello. I am uh, from the Kent City Tyrone Township branch. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Had a, you know, a scone and some coffee, so we're doing good. Our third friend is our producer, Miss Jill, who I like to refer to as the librarian behind the computer. Hello, Miss Jill. Hello. And Miss Jill, where do you work again? I work at the Wyoming branch. Uh-huh. And we are here today to answer some questions. So, Miss Jill, what is our first question of the day? Our first question of the day comes from June, and I'm going to let her ask this question for herself. My name is June. I am nine years old, almost 10. My KDL branch is Rockford. My question is. What is the hardest rock in the universe? So, June, I love that question. I got to be the one to answer it. Um, I also wanted to know what is the hardest rock in the universe. So I did a lot of research and realized that there's almost no way to tell for sure because the universe is, like, so expansive and always expanding. Which still does not make sense to me at all. Yeah, it's wild. Isn't that crazy? I don't understand how something that is, like, infinite can also constantly be expanding yeah it's hard to wrap my mind around absolutely Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to know is there's so much we don't know about the universe um so we we don't know what the hardest rock is so i went ahead and scaled that down a little bit and um i found the hardest rocks on earth kind of um there's a caveat that we'll get to at the end here but on earth the hardest kinds of rocks are metamorphic type um rocks uh these are rocks that have been changed by heat and pressure Um, and that makes them more like dense and solid. So think of like, um, such as marble, um, is, is one of those rocks. Uh, but then I, I took it a step further, uh, cause most, nearly all rocks are made out of minerals. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. well, what's the hardest mineral? Um, and that is uh, the diamonds because the diamond is the hardest mineral. Um, only diamonds can cut diamonds and the way that we find the hardness of these things is using the Mohs. That's how you say it? I think so. Um, Scale of hardness, hardness scale. So diamonds are at a 10. Um, Let me give you an example of like what would be at a 1. So talc, I don't know if you've heard of like talc powder. powder. Yep. Yep. It's like what gymnasts use um, on their hands Mm -hmm. uh, if they're going to like work with their hands on a bar and do flips and stuff. So that's at number 1. A finger, a human fingernail is about a a 2.5. So not super hard. And then it goes up the scale. So at like a an, an 8.5 is like a drill bit that you'd have on like a drill. Okay. Um, and then the hardest one is a diamond. So that's like how that how that scale goes. Um, so yeah, and, and generally a lot of like science labs and whatnot will have a set of these various rocks. Generally there's not a diamond in there because diamonds are quite expensive and, and they don't want the cost of, of uh, a kit to be so astronomic that nobody can afford <laughs> to do the tests in their bad. science lab yeah um but it does have all the other ones in there um so yeah that's what i found for on earth what the hardest 
rocks slash mineral are. But then I learned about this really cool thing. Um, I love really cool things. Yeah, they're the, they're kind of the best. Um, so humans are, I feel like, constantly looking for harder and harder substances. So, you know, we started with, like, rock and replaced that with iron and then steel and on and on. Um, and now they found something called nuclear pasta. What even? Yeah. Do you have any guesses what that might be, Courtney? Just I'm going to guess it's something words? I can't eat. Okay, yeah. No, because nuclear makes me think, no, but pasta... Kind of delicious. Is great. Yeah. But nuclear pasta, I'm a hard pass on yeah. that. So what it is, it's like a dense crust of a uh, neutron star. So so the crust on the outside, um, and as you go deeper in, it's a little bit harder, uh, is what this dense is, this dense product is. And the reason they call it pasta is because a lot of um, the crust takes on like interesting shapes like lasagna or spaghetti. And so they they <laughs> named it pasta because that's kind of what they look like under the microscope. So misleading though. Right? So they don't know what or how to use this or, you know, even I think yeah, how to harvest it. Um, but yeah, someday you may be, I don't know, building a building out of nuclear pasta or, you know, whatever they find uses for for it. Uh, it's about, um, some studies have suggested that nuclear pasta um, is about 10 million times stronger than steel. So I, again, another thing I can't so really al dente pasta. Yes, yes, it's the <laughs> al dente pasta. Don't chip your teeth on that. Um, I can't Ouch. even wrap my head around Ow. how strong that would be. Yeah. So that is what I found uh, as far as the the hardest rock in the universe. I guess that's not really a rock, but um, there you go. Substance yeah, subtypes. It's substance. Yeah, it's something. Jill, I hear you have a fact for us. I do, and this fact is from a very exciting book. It is a Lift the Flap book, Biggest, Fastest, Tallest, and so many more record-breaking extremes. This is a very exciting book, and you can learn so many interesting facts about things that are very strong, just like the rocks you were just talking about. Absolutely. And we are going to learn today about the strongest humans. The heaviest lift was by Paul Anderson. This record No has relation, held, though, right? Uh, no relation. This record has held since 1957. Nobody has lifted heavier than... Wow. U.S. weightlifter Paul Anderson, the bar that he lifted weighed as much as an average car, 6,270 pounds. Wow. Wow. It seems like your bones would just like crush crush. under that amount of weight. Yeah, I don't, I could not do that. No, me neither. (laughs) Not, Not at all. Not in this life. Definitely no. All right. Well, let's answer another question. We have two questions that are a little similar. Um, It's about the universe. So, Jill, what's our first question about the universe? Our first question is from Adrian, and we do have some audio of Adrian reading this question. My name is Adrian. I am eight years old. My KDL branch is Rockford, and I am going to stump the library, and my question is, how many planets are there in the mall, in the universe, not multiverse? All right. Well, Adrian, that is a great question. Um, and the first thing is, is let's talk about what a planet is. Um, it's important to answer this because how scientists define a planet would change the number of planets that are in the universe. 
Generally, a planet is any relatively large natural body that revolves in an orbit around the sun or another large star. Um, Size does matter when calling something a planet, as is the case with our poor friend Pluto, who is no longer considered a planet of our solar system. Um, But you can argue with your parents about that, and I will say that the answer is nine, because I would like to include Pluto, but the correct answer... Will always be a planet in my Pluto heart. Will always be a planet in my heart. But the correct answer is there are eight planets in the solar system. Um, but how do we know how many planets are in the universe? So the solar system is what Earth is, and we revolve around our sun. Um, but there are lots of different solar systems, galaxies um, in the universe. Um, and the answer to how many planets are in the universe is we don't know. It's a very ineffable number. Um, meaning it's very large, um, and we can't know exactly how many planets are because there are millions and trillions and billions of light years away, and technology is increasing, but not quite to that point yet. Um, So like people believed before, um, they thought that we were the center of the universe, that the sun revolved um, around the Earth, and we know that that is false. Um, As much as we like to think we are the center of the universe – Sadly, we are not. We are not. There's so many other things out there. So many other things. Um, But however, I'm going to attempt to answer your question, Adrian, to the best scientific answer that we have. And you can find the most up-to-date information about this on NASA's website, nasa.gov, which has lots of information um, about space, about the galaxy, what planets are, exoplanets, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um. And there is a counter that will actually, on their website, that tells you how many confirmed planets that we have discovered. Now, if there's a counter, that must mean that, like, they're actively finding planets. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it goes up, and it records the counter you can even look at, like, when this planet was discovered, um, who discovered it, um, and all sorts of information about that. Um, But our solar system is part of a galaxy that's called the Milky Way. And again, like I said, the universe is made up of billions of galaxies like ours. So we are not the only galaxy either. Um, And within our galaxy, there are at least 100 billion stars. And on average, each star has at least one planet orbiting it. This means there are potentially thousands of planetary systems just like our solar system within the galaxy. Um, And the exact size of the universe, because there are billions of galaxies, and like Emily said, the universe is constantly expanding, the number of planets is unknown. And let's just say that it's a super large number with, like, so many zeros that you can't even think of it. So did this question stump us, Emily? Um, I think both of these questions have stumped us. I think we've been stumped. we but like, not, yeah. not, not by, our, you know, we found the information, the just inform, the specific information that has been asked is just not available. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. Because yeah. there's just so much out there. It's hard to know for sure. Um, yeah, the answer to these questions. But they're very good questions, very interesting. Very good questions. Before I answer our other question about planets. Emily, have you been reading a good book? You know what? I have been reading a good book. Tell me, what have you been reading? I mean, I actually read this earlier, but it was such a good book that I thought of it to talk about on this podcast. Um, So it's along the idea of Little House on the Prairie. I do 
like the idea of kind of like living in those times and those cottage core vibes. Yes, very cottage core vibes. Uh, but this book is called Prairie Lotus, and what I really like about it is that it kind of has a different view on mm-hmm. what it may have been like in those times for somebody who um, is not a white pioneer. Uh, so this book is about a girl who is half um, white and half Asian, and her and her dad, after her mother passes away, move into this um, town, and, and her dad is, is white, and so he's able to kind of get along easily in the community. Um, and then you find Hannah, who um, her mom is Asian, and, and you can see that she's also half Asian, and, and the kind of um, negativity that's like brought upon her mm-hmm. in the community and she is a very skilled dressmaker that's like what her mom has taught her to do mm-hmm. and she very much wants to open up a shop a shop but she's getting a lot of pushback from the community so it's really just like uh, a book about Hannah adjusting to her like new surroundings mm-hmm. and um, learning to kind of find her place in a community that maybe doesn't uh, want her there, um, which is, I think, a really interesting take on this. Is uh, this takes place in 1880? I think it's like an interesting take on that that I haven't read much of in other yeah. books. Um, and it's a very good book. It it does take on some um, more serious tones, like dealing with with that um, some prejudice against Asians. But but uh, it is definitely a, a wonderful read for sure. I have checked that book out. This is- shaming myself right now i've checked that book out a couple of times but i haven't read it i do think one of the um assistant branch librarians at my branch just read it Mm. um and i think they i think i overheard them saying they enjoyed it because it was suddenly like face out on one of the shelves and i was like oh i bet this just came back um but great great recommendation um miss jill what's our next question okay our next question is from isaiah who recorded the question. Let's hear from Isaiah. My name is Isaiah. I am six years old. My KGL branch is what is Rockford. My question is, are there any other plants that could support life? Great question, Isaiah. Another great question. Um, so this is a fun one. And probably the shortest answer to this question is perhaps, maybe, um, probably. There is probably life of some kind outside of Earth. We cannot, the galaxy in the universe, as we've discussed, is infinite. And the fact that we could be the only life in it is, is absolutely ludicrous to me. Emily, what do you think? Do you think that there is life outside of Earth? And we'll get into the science behind this in a minute. You know, I think there has to be. Again, there is, like, the universe is just so expansive. There's no way there isn't, right? Right. I, again, and there's so many different, like, galaxies as well. So, like, could there be an Earth-like planet somewhere else? Um, the ability to have life. And so let's talk about that for a second. So, yeah, it would be practically impossible to conclude that there is no other planet that has life. It's really hard to prove a negative in science. So to prove that something doesn't exist, it's a lot easier to prove that things do exist. And again, if we wanted to prove that there was no life outside of Earth, we would have to visit every single planet somehow and prove that there is no life there. And that's just like a lot of work. And planets are very far away. So there's been a lot of research, though, into life on other planets, and it's obviously something that we as humans are very curious about um, because, again, the idea that we alone are the only living creatures, um, that the only living creatures inhabit the Earth is just completely wild to me. 
But there was some interesting information that I found when I was researching a question for our second podcast about, you know, the depths of the ocean. And while I was researching the different conditions in Challenger Deep, which is the deepest part of the ocean um, in the Mariana Trench, their layers in Challenger Deep are obviously unlike those of the ocean that are closer to the surface, where most of the bigger um, and more of the well-researched animals live. But they could possibly be comparable to Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons. Um, Europa has an icy outer layer, which scientists think may have a hidden liquid ocean that would be similar to the deepest depths of our ocean on Earth. So maybe not life as in species that are close, you know, more closely related to humans or, you know, like dogs or something like that that's more well known, but possibly um, life like microorganisms or bacteria. So if bacteria can live near these, like if there's underwater volcanoes, in this ocean, um, that's where bacteria tend to thrive in our ocean. Could there be bacteria living there as well? Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of like adjust our perspective of what life on other planets yeah. look like. Um, I think when people talk about life, like they're picturing Martians, mm-hmm. and Martians technically are life on Mars. So, you know, alien life is anywhere. But Martians are, like, specific to Mars or that Looney Tunes cartoon character. Yes, Marvin. Marvin. The Martian. Marvin the Martian. Um, so I think that's what people are thinking of when they think of Martians or, their, or, you know, other life. Or they're thinking of, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're thinking Gamora is, like, around. And, and maybe, maybe, we don't know. There could be a baby Groot somewhere. There could be. Do you think that, like, we've been visited at some point? Ooh. By other living maybe what so if we if you were to like get someone and again we'll get back to the science in a minute but if like a life form from another planet came and was like give me something that like represents Earth like what book do you think you would give them and you're like yes what book um I just threw this at you I think maybe the book that I give everybody that is probably not a good answer um but. Uh, Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sapetis. You know what? <laughs> I was thinking of Salt to the Sea oh, really? by Ruta Sapetis. Yeah. We should do that because the, the books kind of go, <laughs> go together. So, yeah. Yeah, we should do um, that. Very sad bits of, mm-hmm. like, Earth history, but beautiful book. But beautiful, beautiful writing. And I feel like that's kind of what, what a life is on Earth. It can be sad, but it's also very beautiful. Yeah. Those so. books are definitely for older teens. So yeah. maybe wait to read this if you're a younger teen um, because it is they are very sad mm-hmm. and about World War II and um it's a sad time but <laughs> that's interesting that we both run like that save same wavelength yeah, yeah. um but okay so going back to that but back to mars um that is the planet that we as humans have sent more spacecrafts to than any other planet in the solar system so it's one of the closest planets to us as well it's our neighbor um and it is possible that some form of life may have existed on mars so we know that to have life, you need water and the elements associated with life, like oxygen and sunlight and things like that, and available sources of energy. And while it doesn't seem that Mars currently has those things at its surface, it's too cold for water, and the carbon dioxide in their atmosphere, I mean, it doesn't really have an atmosphere. It's out of control. There's so much CO2. Um, but... Mars wasn't always inhospitable to life. Scientists think that Mars once had a molten core that generated a magnetic field, and this in turn protected the surface from the radiation from the sun 
and gave it a thicker atmosphere that could keep the planet warm. So Mars is very cold right now because it's just outside of that habitable area. Um, And there is also strong evidence that suggests between three and four billion years ago, which, you know, such a short amount of time. It's just like a blink of the eye. um, Mars may have had water on its surface. So in the photos that we've been able to take of Mars, you can kind of see that there are valleys Um, And these could have been carved by rivers. There's pebbles that formed in streams and piles of sediment that could have come from basins and deltas. So under these conditions, so had there been water on Mars, life could have been possible. But about 3 billion years ago, Mars lost its protective magnetic field. And solar radiation stripped off most of the planet's atmosphere and the liquid water disappeared. And then Mars turned into the cold, dry desert that we now know and love because you gotta love Mars. Gotta I mean, they're our neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's they're it's a buddies. pretty cool place to go. But we know a lot more about our solar system now. Would you say that? Oh, I definitely, I definitely. Yeah, think so. I feel like we're only gonna grow in our knowledge as technology advances mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so we know way more about our solar system, the Milky Way, just the universe as a whole than any other previous generation. And the next generation will know more and more and. And it's maybe someday people will be going into space just, like, for joyrides. It's for vacation. Yeah. You know, take Who some knows? PTO and go out there. Um, but our galaxy is crowded with exoplanets. So an exoplanet is any planet beyond our solar system. So there are eight planets in our solar system, and anything beyond is an exoplanet. Um, most of them orbit other stars, but there are some free-floating exoplanets called rogue planets um, that just orbit around in the galactic center and are untethered any star so they're just chilling in the dark floating around doing their thing those ones might not have life just because you do need some sort of sunlight (laughs) for life at least life how we know it um they come in a lot of different sizes from gas giants that are bigger than jupiter to small rocky planets that are about as big as earth or mars um and they can be super hot hot enough to boil metal or they can be locked in a deep freeze like some of the planets in our outer solar system. Their orbits are different. Some a year can be days, and some um, a year can be, you know, forever. And they can orbit two suns at once. That sounds so confusing. Do you think it's like in a figure eight, or do you think the two suns are in the middle? I don't have a picture of this, so I'm not sure. I would think it would have to be in a figure eight. I feel like if the two suns are in the middle, that'd be quite the orbit. Like it would Yeah, have to be you th- quite, and you would think they would combine they would go, to be yeah. one star eventually. Um but a healthy percentage of them are small and rocky worlds of similar size and composition to Earth. And ingredients in the recipe for earthly life, which we talked about, could be there. So there could be life. Um, so we can't really know because they have these ingredients for life. We have to use another way to measure that, and that's the habitable zone. So if you think of the star like a campfire and you're roasting a marshmallow, like there's this certain... sweet spot that you want to get in you know if you're too close to the flame you get this charred marshmallow i'm team charred marshmallow i am team charred marshmallow but like if you're a planet you don't want to char you don't want what happened you know to venus Mm -hmm. you can't go on venus um to happen to your planet but if you're too far it's just a regular it's just a marshmallow and that's not going to make you a good s'more um so you want that sweet spot right in the middle Um, That's just right. So you don't want something, you don't want to be too close to the sun or too far away from the sun because you want that just right, which is where we are um, in the habitable zone. 
scientific term, and moving away from the s'mores metaphor, is the distance from a star that allows liquid water to persist on its surface. So as long as that planet has a suitable atmosphere as well. So it has to have liquid water, and it also has to have an atmosphere in which life can survive. Um, And in our solar system, Earth sits comfortably inside the sun's habitable zone. Um, And it's not a broiling planet like Venus, and it's not a refrigerated planet like Mars. But yeah, so there are lots of exoplanets in the world. So basically, to answer your question again, Isaiah, um, yeah, I'm going to say yes. There are other planets that can support life, what those planets are named and where those planets are. And the life that they can support, like what kind of... What kind of life isn't exactly knowable yet. I do have a lot of confidence that, you know, I don't know how many years from now, maybe like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, a century from now, we will have found life. And again, there's like a difference between intelligent life. So intelligent life is... Those that can create, that are innovative and are capable of, like, critical thinking. So, like, humans um, and unintelligent life, like, you know, microorganisms and smaller things like that. So, I think it's it's very likely that there are microorganisms out in the world if there's some... And I do think that there is something like humans somewhere out in the galaxy, in a different galaxy. Who knows? So, great question. I would say on this podcast, we were sufficiently stumped, but not from lack of effort. It's just because the questions that were asked are ineffable. There are lots of answers. There's no definite answer, I would say, to any of the questions. I would agree. I don't think there's a definite answer. These are great questions. Yeah. So what what is, like, the coolest thing you think you learned? Oh, gosh, there's too many cool things. Ah, man... I think that the coolest thing is that Jupiter's moon is named Europa. I was like, that's yeah. a, okay, that's kind of like Europe. I mean, I could be pronouncing it wrong again, um, pronouncing it with my Midwestern accent, but I, I think that that was cool. And also, um, your question about the nuclear pasta. Yeah, that's mine too. I All the way, I'm going to be thinking about nuclear, nuclear pasta. pasta. And also, every time I eat or make something that is pasta, I will be thinking about nuclear that. pasta. And what would happen to my teeth if oh. I was eating nuclear pasta instead of regular pasta. I mean, they would shatter completely. Oh, instantly. Yeah. Ow. Yeah, that's no oh, good. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, that's all the fun and highly important information we've got for you today. As always, you can visit kdl.org forward slash stump for more information and, of course, to submit your chance uh, to be to have your question on our podcast. Um, as always, we would like to thank J.D. Delinsky for our intro music, uh, the KDL Amy Van Andel branch for the podcast room, and um, David Speck for the photos that are up on our website. All right, thanks so much, and thanks. we'll see you next time. Bye.